Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined today by Amanda Loudon. How you doing, Amanda? I'm well. How about you? Good, good. So you are back in civilization. Um, yes, I'm back from the wilds of North Carolina. <laughs> oh, I didn't, I didn't realize the trip was to North Carolina. Yeah, so I was in the Smoky Mountains, which are on both Tennessee and North Carolina sides, and I was on the North Carolina side. Um, I went on a press trip with REI, and we did a three-day backpacking trip there. Wow. And I was completely and totally out of my element. (laughs) (laughs) And we should explain to people, so press trips are uh, something that um, some journalists get taken on, typically by um, a company that wants journalists to experience their brand and their gear in the environment it was designed for. So, yeah. yeah, so I mean, if they're, a, if they're a snowboard company, they take people snowboarding. If it's surfing, they take you surfing. And so REI obviously is outdoor equipment, so they took you backpacking. So, yeah. and, and I'm thinking part of it was is that probably everybody else on the press trip was about 27. Yes, and they were male. I was the only female. I could have been their mothers. And they were all from places like Gear Junkie and, you know, Adventure, blah, blah, blah. And so... Um, they were all super experienced backpackers. I was not. And, but I was like, you know, my fitness level's good. It's all good. Um, and I do love to hike, but I've never overnight backpacked. So, um, I just, I mean, I fumbled through the whole entire trip. I, I mean, I got, I was better like by the second and third days, but the first day it was kind of just a Murphy's law day. Everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong right down to my poisoning, my trees dried meal. So, um, <laughs> how did that happen? you know you open up your packet and you are you know you pour hot water in it to rehydrate it Uh and there's a little um one of those tiny little preservative oh no oh no oh no yeah i just ripped it open and poured it in and then someone (laughs) happened to be like oh yeah everybody make sure you take out your preservative packet and i'm like damn it i was so hungry and so tired and i really wanted to just crawl up on the dirt and cry at that point (laughs) because i wasn't crawling up into my sleeping bag on my sleeping pad because i also ruined the valve to inflate my sleeping bag so (laughs) Oh, no. It was just, it was like one thing after the other. <laughs> but I really thought, okay, you know, at, at my age, how often do I get, do I get out of my comfort zone? Uh-huh. I'm going to go, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to go, you know, stretch myself and, and grow from this. And, um, you know, on the whole, like it's over, it's kind of like childbirth. It was, it was, it was fantastic. Now I can look back and say it was fantastic. And I, I, I mean, I loved the RI people. They were fantastic and they were understanding and, um, you know, they put up with me and my my naivete so <laughs> and were the young men oh uh, were they understanding of you or did they eventually be like mom come on you got this <laughs> i think they're probably like who is the old lady ruining the vibe around here <laughs> it's like it's like survivor when invariably they always vote out the you know over 45 woman first <laughs> yep that would have been me <laughs> Oh my gosh. Well, you're a sport for going along with it. I am um, I am not a I am not a camper. I am just it's not my thing. I mean, I love being yeah. outside. It's one of the main yeah. reasons I run, but I yeah. sure do love my running water and, you know, a bed. So Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. No, it, it really was cool. It, it it really was, but I just think I just went into it a little underprepared. So <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. So, but since you're away from it all, so then you did not get to watch any of the New York City Marathon then? I know. I missed the whole thing. I didn't, until I was back on the plane last night, um, get a chance to really see what was going on. And so exciting. I just, oh, I mean, I thrilling. Plane, so. thrilling, thrilling, awesome. thrilling. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. and I have to say, it didn't occur to me to, to watch the coverage of the New York City Marathon. So I was out on a very enjoyable run myself and thinking about all the people who were running New York, but it didn't occur to me that like, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm missing coverage of it. So I discovered, I, f- I found out the news on Twitter and um, and then of course was able to watch video of it and stuff. And oh my goodness, just just amazing. The the He's drive awesome. and the determination. And, and I mean, yeah. now the question is, do we think it will still be her final, because it was going to be her last marathon. I know, I know. So, yeah. I, I mean, I did see a little news clip today of her. Um, she was on Good Morning America, and it did kind of sound like she, you know that was maybe the the high point and the way to end it and yep. you know wrap things up. So we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting to watch and see what she does. Right, right, right. So, um, and as if people can't figure out, we're recording this on Monday, which is unusual for us. Um, so, and some other people. So, Shalane's time was 22653 um i thought it was interesting i was uh, doing a whole i guess a little deep diving on instagram and that um in 2008 when kara goucher finished third in new york city her uh-huh. t- her time was exactly 1 minute faster than shalane's time was yesterday um oh wow yeah so it's amazing how much your result depends on who else is in the race and and what the strategy is you know is it a group that's going to push it in the early miles and and you know really keep that pace on or are they going to hold back and then try to have a breakaway type thing totally totally yeah so and and then also um Catherine Switzer um 70 years young she, yeah. she finished um, her second marathon this year. She ran it in a time of 4.48. And so, know. you know, I mean, she ran Boston in April and now she runs New York. I mean, it makes makes my joints hurt just to think about it. I know. I know. She's amazing. Yeah. And knowing her, like, I, I know when she ran Boston, you know, she did it really, um, it was a very social run for her mm-hmm. too, where she was you know, stopping and, mm-hmm. you know, waving to the crowds and just, you know, I mean, having a great time out there. So, I mean, feasibly, she might have even been faster, you know, mm-hmm. like, if she really, you know, right. her down. I mean, I'm just assuming she ran it the same way she did Boston, you know? Exactly. Well, and also with the with the crowd and, you know, because I don't, I, I assume she was just in a regular corral with other people. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know? so, um, yeah. and then, so, and speaking of people who have been on the podcast, because we've had Catherine on the podcast, and um, did you see that Stephanie Rothstein-Bruce finished 10th? And um, that was very exciting. So um, she was on our podcast where we talked about the elliptigo um, because she was really big into using it when she was pregnant and coming back from being pregnant. And so that was that was very thrilling. It was a very exciting day for um, to be um, USA centric. It was a very exciting day at New York for Americans. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and I had um, I was out in Sisters, Oregon at the Happy Girls race. It's, um, I was the MC and it was a trail half marathon or it is a trail half marathon. And, um, and they also have a, um, a 5k at that race, but I was, it was thrilling because the top, I think four or five finishers, but definitely the top three were all masters age runners. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think the first place one, they didn't have the results up when I, um, was digging into this, but I, memory serves I think the first place finisher might have been 53 um and I know because I know that the I know the third place finisher was 40 but yeah I think the first one was 53 then 47 then 40 and then like 43 or something so oh so exciting yeah 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 Yeah. very cool yeah 
So, um, yeah, so um, daylight saving time, you know, you excited to be, have a couple, maybe like three days where it's somewhat light when you go running in the morning. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? It, it's so funny because, and I, I was just um, with my group my, that, that I run with on Tuesday mornings. I was like, we are switching it up tomorrow because we've got daylight for, for the next, you know, couple of days. And so we're switching up our course tomorrow to take advantage of it. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so true because you think, okay, it's dreadful that it gets so dark so early, but hey, I get it, get it to be light in the morning. And I mean, yeah. the thing just changes so quickly at this time of year that it honestly, does by a week from now we'll still be yeah. plunged back into darkness first thing in the morning it's so true it's Ugh. so true yeah i'm just hanging on till january when we, when we um or no december december the, the solstice i'm hanging <laughs> right, on to winter right. solstice oh my gosh <laughs> that I always my mood yeah, i do feel t.s T. Eliot was wrong when he said april is the cruelest month I, here in portland november is the cruelest month yeah Ugh, yeah darkness i mean it is uh, eventually it's going to be dark here by it's it's pretty doggone dark by five o'clock here in november yeah later us, november. us too i mean because we're on the eastern end of the time zones mm, yep so, yeah. yep 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 whereas we're on the we're toward the western end but we're we're a little bit northern of most people here in the u.s right right yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh my goodness so well today's topic is running and fertility and um sure many of us are mother runners but as someone who overcame secondary infertility i speak from experience when i say that there can always be road bumps along the way our first guest is elizabeth barberi md a doctor of reproductive medicine at oregon reproductive medicine here in portland a self-described older than average mother dr barberi is mother of two children and then after dr barberi um amanda i think you're gonna um, be taken off but i'm going to be talking to um, Anissa Brown, who is a mother runner, who actually is helping us organize our Ogden retreat next May. And she has the most phenomenal story about um, her infertility. It has a very happy ending and how running paid for her infertility treatments. So you, wow. def- <laughs> so you definitely want to stick, stick around for that story. So Amanda and I will talk with the good doctor and Anissa after this short break. Stay tuned. Dr. Barbieri, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're a casual bunch here. Is it okay if we call you Elizabeth? Uh, please call me Betsy. Oh, Betsy, even better. All right. We're on nickname basis then. That's good. Um, so so good. So, Betsy, how old are your children? My, I have three boys. My oldest is six and a half. My middle is four and a half. And my youngest just turned two at the end of September. Look at that. You got you got youngins. And I have to say your company, your um, practice's website is behind. It says you only have two young kids. Um. <laughs> yes, that was taken when my oldest was two and a half and my middle was six months old. So I need to talk to our marketing team to get that updated. Yes, you sure do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Betsy, are you a mother runner or are you active with other fitness endeavors? Um, I was a mother runner until I had my first child. He was almost nine and a half pounds. Ooh. And then it's probably familiar for a lot of women who run after you've had a baby. Sometimes the incontinence gets in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ha- I'm an avid spinner. So mm-hmm. I go to spin classes four times a week. I would love to get back into running, but I'm struggling a bit with some of those issues, honestly. Well, you know, you can see a doctor about that. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they all say. Who has time to go to the doctor? <laughs> um, 
no, I know it's a serious yeah. issue, so I don't mean to make light of it. But um, you know, you we, yeah. you know, there there are things that can be done. So um, if you want to get back out there, I I say make time for it because um, I think I think the rewards will be well worth it. But but um, yes, 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 yes. So um, so okay, so let's dive into talking about infertility and and fertility issues. And so what what constitutes infertility? And it varies by maternal age, doesn't it? You're absolutely right. So the technical definition of infertility for women less than age 35 mm-hmm. is one year, which really means 12 cycles, mm-hmm. so 12 tries of unprotected intercourse. So a woman who has a slightly longer cycle, a year doesn't cut it because that may only be 11 tries. So it's technically 12 tries. Mm-hmm. For women 35 and older, because we realize the impact of age on egg, on the health of our eggs, the definition of infertility is six months. Mm-hmm. or really six tries of unprotected intercourse without a successful pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And you can try more than once in a month, though, you know, so. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and then and then I saw on your website also, though, that over age 40, it goes down, what, to, to three months of trying? At age, over age 40, we're much more concerned about the impact of age mm-hmm. on the health of our eggs, so we advocate that if you're going to try on your own, fine to try for three months or three cycles but if you're not successful we really encourage patients or um, women to come in and see us as soon as they can Mm -hmm. because we don't want to miss a critical window of time where Mm -hmm. we could help them and Mm -hmm. then by the time they come in they're thinking oh my doctor told me it was a year so I started at 40 and now I'm 41 Mm -hmm. and there's been a um, unfortunate loss of time in that duration Mm -hmm. not to try and scare people but we always want to make sure we're doing whatever we can to help women to be successful. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to say that I think um, the media plays a role in that because I think there are so many celebrities out there who act like they just, you know, I mean, like Gwen Stefani. Like, really? I really don't think she just randomly got pregnant again, you know, at age 45 or whatever. Right. Like, because otherwise, yeah, right. then celebrities right. not only are very talented, but they are also far more fertile than the average American woman. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're exactly right. When Janet Jackson announced her pregnancy, uh-huh. we were flooded with phone calls from women 49 who wanted to do donor sperm inseminations. <laughs> like, that's not how Janet Jackson did it. <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, all my friends who are reproductive endocrinologists like myself, we feel like there's this battle that we want to fight with the media just because mm-hmm. you're in Us Weekly doesn't mean it happened naturally. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's perhaps one of the better quotes on on our podcast you know. <laughs> wow. oh my goodness so um how does body weight play into all of this i know sometimes it's it's easy to think you can only seri- that only seriously underweight women have trouble conceiving but being overweight or obese can hamper a woman's ability to get pregnant as well is that true that is true um the challenges with body weight in general are that we don't have the best measurement as a tool to say what is normal, what is underweight, what is overweight. Mm-hmm. So we standardly use the, a BMI cutoff, but then that doesn't take into account muscle mass mm-hmm. versus fat. But general principles are that women who are significantly underweight mm-hmm. can have trouble getting pregnant related to problems with ovulating or releasing an egg every month. And women who are overweight can definitely have trouble getting pregnant as well. In addition to ovulation issues, so not releasing the egg, or perhaps um, the roles of different hormones that are secreted uh, more intensely related to having an increased weight or fat um, amount can impact the lining of the uterus and making it more challenging to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Hmm. So, and then, um, 
if you could talk to us a bit about um, amenorrhea and that we had um, an mm-hmm. expert on, um, I don't know, maybe 10 podcasts ago, and it was talking about how it's more energy imbalance instead of just something that happens when a woman severely restricts her calories. So if you could talk about how mm-hmm. um, a lack of a period factors yeah. in all so this. So amenorrhea mm-hmm. means not getting your period. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some common medical causes. So a woman who had regular periods and all of a sudden stopped getting her period should be evaluated to rule out some obvious medical reasons such as a problem with your thyroid gland or a problem of another hormone called prolactin. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you stop getting your period, it's because you've gone into early menopause. So seeing a physician just to rule out some of these things that are easily correctable or not correctable at all. But once those have been ruled out, there's two conditions. One is polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a very specific endocrine disorder, less related to energy and exercise. And then the one that we're talking about is what's called hypothalamic amenorrhea, which means that the signaling from the brain, particularly the hypothalamus and the pituitary, which sends signals to the ovary to tell the ovary to grow and ovulate or grow and release an egg, that signaling is thrown off. And we always wonder, well, why is that signaling thrown off? And that's when I think the easiest way to think about that on a very simplistic level is our brain wants us to ovulate and get pregnant when it's an optimal time to conceive a baby, when you have extra energy to devote to growing this pregnancy. And if your body is in an energy depletion, so if you are running um, 10 miles a day every day but you're all, and you're eating 3,000 calories, but for somebody who's running as intensely as you are, you actually need to be eating 4,000 calories. So mm-hmm. you're eating a lot but your body doesn't recognize that you have enough energy, your body is going to stop supporting those processes which are not critical to your survival. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously you need energy for your brain, your heart needs to beat, your lungs need to move to get air, but ovulating is not necessary to your survival. So Mm -hmm. what's the first thing that's going to go? Your menstrual cycle. And you might first start to see that instead of having 30-day cycles, you end up having 26-day cycles. Mm-hmm. And then 24-day cycles with a 40-day cycle, and then eventually it goes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, so there's also out there that we've got a lot of doctors who will tell their active patients, women who run, say, 20 miles or more per week, to dial back on their exercise programs if they're trying to get pregnant. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I take a slightly different stance, I think, because... I've been an athlete a whole my whole life. I played college sports. So for me, it's important to be physically fit. And for a lot of my patients who come to see me, exercise is something that's really important to them and it's their main source of stress relief. And then mm-hmm. trying to get pregnant can be stressful. And I don't like to take that away. I think that as long as you're having consistent regular cycles with no change in that, it's okay to continue exercising. I recommend that my patients limit it to 60 minutes a day, mm. five days a week, because more intense than that, there's some, there's always this a theory that could that be causing a very subtle hormonal imbalance that we can't test just by drawing your blood. Mm-hmm. But if you're running five miles a week, four days a week, and your periods are you're getting your period every month and you're ovulating every month, and I would tell that woman keep running. That's not why you're not getting pregnant. There's many reasons you might not be getting pregnant. I wouldn't cut out exercise as the first one. Mm. That's so important because I th- I know that when 
Um, I actually, in full disclosure, uh, used Gerald's clinic back in the, it was so long ago, it was uh, Portland Reproductive Medicine, but, um, and that's how I, you all helped me get my, get my twins. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. So, um, and it was secondary infertility. We have an older daughter that we, um, conceived the old fashioned way. So, um, but that, you know, like when they, you know, you think like, oh, they're going to tell me to stop exercising and that's just going to, like, everything seems so out of control. And then to be told that, oh, well, mm-hmm. and we're going to take your exercise away from you. And it was just like, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. No. Um, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. And I feel pretty strongly about that. There are times where we'll see a couple come in and the woman's like, yes, I've been trying to get pregnant and I don't get my period. And I just ran the New York Marathon and I have another marathon next month and I have a marathon after that. <laughs> yeah. And I'll say, okay, we, we need to talk about that. Yeah. Because you need to be done with your monthly marathons for us to be able to work together. But a lot of our, you know, my average patients are these wonderful women who like to remain physically fit and they do a 10K here or there or maybe they do a marathon once a year. And I think if you're already used to exercising at a certain rate Mm -hmm. and your periods are still regular, then the exercise isn't changing it. If your exercise has dramatically ramped up Mm -hmm. and then maybe that's a cause for concern. And additionally, I tell my patients, Getting pregnant is not the time to start training for a marathon. You want to just mm-hmm. maintain your physical fitness where you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you, but do you feel, I mean, when you go to conferences, do you feel that yeah. you're in the minority and you, you know, talk to, um, you know, maybe doctors maybe who are a little older than you are, or, you know, I don't know, in maybe different parts of the country or something. Do you feel that you're um, somewhat unique in this way of thinking or do you feel that's a new, you know, I don't know, like it just, I, I bet a lot of people don't hear that from their doctors. I do feel like the world of OBGYN, the demographic of OBGYN is changing somewhat. There's many, many more women in the field. There's many more female moms who run Mm -hmm. in the field and who exercise. So I think that there's a recognition that uh, being healthy and exercising in a healthy way is totally fine. Mm -hmm. And I think also we struggle in general um, with patients who tend to be overweight and sedentary. So we're constantly trying to get people Mm -hmm. to exercise. Mm -hmm. So a, a different type of problem. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's interesting. It, I mean, it's, it's good to hear because I, I, you know, and Sarah, we have similarly aged children, but I mean, I can go back to when I was pregnant the first time and I had a doctor who would tell me to keep my heart rate under 140, which was, mm-hmm. had oh, already been, it, yeah, no. And that, and even in that time, it was already 10 years outdated information, but they were mm-hmm. really pushing that. And it just, yeah, that kind of drove me crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because, I explained to patients, like, with my own heart rate, I could, when I was pregnant, I'd walk up a flight of stairs and I was already at 140. Right. For me to keep right. it less than 140, right. I'd sit at my desk all day long. Right. So I tell patients, you know, and most people who are physically fit have an idea of what their heart rate range is when they're exercising and they know what their max heart rate is. So yeah. keep an idea on the max heart rate. Don't get that high. You don't want to be huffing and puffing and doing anaerobic exercise. You want to make sure that you can have a conversation while you exercise, sing along to your iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can still continue to exercise, but maybe watch the intensity mm-hmm. a bit because mm-hmm. you don't want any sort of, you don't want anaerobic exercise and then blood flow going away from the placenta. Right. The other thing that's important to remember, and this is going to be different from, for every woman, is as the pregnancy continues, our center of gravity shifts. So if you're someone who loves to run trails, maybe less ideal to be running rocky terrain when mm-hmm. your center of gravity is shifting because the last thing you want to do is stumble and fall and land on your belly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Think about your course of exercise and maybe go to the road for a while just because at the more stable ground, you're less likely to fall. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. 
so when we talk about you know um, mother runners whose sanity kind of depends on getting in a run and, and a doctor tells you to cut back a bit on exercise to boost the chances of conceiving um, you know they might be doing their bodies a favor but but what about the mental state um, you know how, how can a balance be achieved for, for mother runners in those yeah. cases that's a, that's yeah, it's a great question because not getting pregnant, infertility is extremely stressful. There is data suggesting that the diagnosis of infertility and the treatment process is, and the stress related to that can be as bad as treatment for cancer. Wow. Um, so I take the stress around what my patients are experiencing really seriously, and I try and talk to them about how to manage that stress. So I think that it's important for those women who love to run to do it in moderation if they're running. Um, extreme times, extreme mileage, and their doctor's advising cutting that back to recognize that cutting it back doesn't mean giving it up. Mm-hmm. And for some women, it's really hard if you run six-minute miles to go to an eight-minute mile pace, but ultimately the goal is getting pregnant. So find a way that you can um, still have your exercise, but just not as intensely. Find, uh, I think other options are to consider cross-training. So if it's the endorphin high of physical fitness would working out um, with a trainer or doing some other form of exercise that still allows you time to yourself mm-hmm. where you're focusing on your own health but not that same cardiovascular expenditure that could be an option um, but honestly when I'm talking to my patients who are runners I'll ask them specifically how long do you run how many days a week what can we do that would make sense for that person and then I check in with them as well because you don't want to take away their entire source of stress relief Mm-hmm. and leave them with nothing because it actually could end up being more harmful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at some, some questions. We um, oftentimes post questions on our Facebook page and ask the women on there for um, questions. I'm looking uh, at one from a woman who says that her period never returned after having her daughter three years ago. And she's saying that um, she's hoping to conceive uh, in late 2018 without giving up running, she wants to know if there are any food or practices that you recommend for getting her period back. And, um, I mean, then she adds that she's training about 70 miles a week, hoping to break three hours in the marathon. So, I mean, mm. from what you just said, <laughs> s- slowing down and maybe cutting back the duration, but, but are there other, yeah. are there food and pract other, you know, I mean, do you suggest mindfulness practices? Do you, you know, are there, I don't know. Yeah. Anything it's else? A, you know, it's a great question. Medically, the fact that she hasn't gotten her period since the birth of her daughter raises some questions. So she does need to be evaluated to rule out everything else, including a problem with thyroid, a problem with prolactin, uh, looking at her FSH, so a hormone related to ovulation, as well as making sure that there was um, no challenges associated with the delivery that can actually cause a problem with the uterus. So she Mm. might actually be, oh, this is rare, she might be ovulating, but there could be some scar tissue at Mm. the cervix so the blood doesn't come out. So she needs to be evaluated to determine that she actually, to confirm she is not ovulating, which means she won't be getting a period, that there's not Mm -hmm. an anatomic issue with her uterus. Mm -hmm. And then assuming that's the case, making sure that the easy thing to rule out her thyroid, her prolactin, and making sure that she's not in menopause. Mm -hmm. If all of that is ruled out and she falls into that category of hypothalamic amenorrhea, then the follow-up questions are, what is she doing differently now than before she, when she got pregnant with her daughter? Was she not Mm -hmm. a runner? Was she run a 5K who did 10-minute miles and now she's doing six-minute miles mm-hmm. at a different weight because um, one of the things I think it's important for women to recognize is if previously she was a certain weight and running a certain amount and then she got pregnant, when she was pregnant, her brain was basically hibernating. Her brain didn't have to tell her over to ovulate. It got to mm-hmm. take a break because mm-hmm. she was uh, had all this estrogen on board. 
And then she delivers her daughter, and then if she starts exercising much more intensely, when her brain is trying to wake up having just been pregnant, it's waking up in a whole new body mm. of someone running six-minute miles at a different weight. It doesn't recognize who this person is from where it was pre-pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so it's um, to expect that changing your diet is all of a sudden going to make your brain realize who you are now doesn't work so well. Mm. So I think she does need to be evaluated. I do think that uh, there's no downside to trying any sort of holistic modalities. They're not going to hurt at all, whether it's acupuncture, which is a different a West of Chinese medicine to approach the body in a different way, mm-hmm. um, mindfulness. I think that there's lots of ways to approach this, but I do think first and most importantly, being evaluated by a gynecologist to truly understand why she's not getting her period and make sure there's not a reason that's easily to correct it. Mm-hmm. And if the reason is hypothalamic amenorrhea, secondary to her intense running, as much as she might want to change her diet or food or adopt some other holistic modalities, I really think that she needs to either say, I'm going to make my marathon goal and then I'm going to significantly decrease my running and increase my energy intake Mm -hmm. to focus on getting my periods back Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right right kind of deciding the the timeline that that can work best for for her and her family yeah 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 and i'm curious just a quick question on on a case like that the longer you go without a period is it more difficult then to restore it or is that not in play at all um that's a great question the biggest downside to not having your period for an extended period of time in women with hypothalamic amenorrhea, meaning your brain isn't sending enough signals to your ovary, is that your estrogen level overall is really low. And long-term, it puts you at increased risk for osteoporosis, so weak bones and getting fractures as you get older. Right. In general, yes and no. So if you are someone who had irregular periods as a teenager because you were on the you got your first period, but you were on the cross-country team and the dance team and the swim team all at the same time, and then you started on birth control pills to regulate your cycle, mm-hmm. and now you're 33 and you stop the birth control pill after many, many years trying to get pregnant, again, your brain is stuck at when you were 15 and first started your birth control pill. So, you, mm. so that person is never, most likely will never get regular cycles because they never had regular cycles to begin with. Mm. Somebody else wow. who had regular periods, had two children, um, lost a significant amount of weight, started running intensely, and now it's been four years and no period, I think that that person whose brain knows how to do it will be able to recover their hypothalamic function and start to have cycles again by mo- modifying their activity and potentially gaining some weight. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So it really depends on the etiology of why your period stopped in the first place. Wow. Okay. Wow. That's intriguing. Um, so I'm going to... Uh, a couple more of these questions off of Facebook there. Um, yes. Christy says uh, she has uh, recurrent miscarriages. Um, and so uh, she wants to know your recommendation for somebody who's like that um, about running in the, in that kind of two week waiting period in early pregnancy. She's, you know, when you're, you know, you, I guess she means the, you know, two weeks after conception, maybe before, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, but and then two weeks after, yeah. Two weeks after ovulation before she gets her period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So she said, should a person take it easy? Would running potentially cause a loss? Running is also um, necessary to make it through that period. So it causes, you know, that that waiting period. So, uh, you know, she does it for stress release. So what's your thinking on running during that time? I think running is fine. Mm -hmm. And I say that because the most common cause of miscarriage is that there's something individually abnormal Mm -hmm. about that embryo, so the egg and the sperm that joined to Mm -hmm. form that embryo. Mm -hmm. Um, 
the most was most likely abnormal, most likely chromosomally abnormal, if not structurally abnormal. Mm-hmm. It's hard to prove that unless with every miscarriage you actually have a procedure, a DNC, and then actually test those tissues. Mm-hmm. About 25% of women with recurrent pregnancy loss and multiple miscarriages have an evaluation that will actually identify a cause, whether a blood clotting factor or a genetic disorder. About 75% of women will have a workup that shows that we can't figure it out, but oh. we still know, the, again, the majority of times it's that individual embryo. Mm-hmm. So um, for this woman, you know, having gone through all of those losses, every pregnancy is probably strife with, with stress, kind mm-hmm. of acknowledging what is going to happen and how do I cope with this. So mm-hmm. I think running is fine. Um, when we have patients who undergo fertility treatments, because of the nature of the fertility treatment, I advise my patients to definitely take it easy. Mm-hmm. And it's this balance between how much exercise should you be doing and what to protect the pregnancy. And it's not so much that I want to protect the pregnancy, it's that I want to help them not think that, oh my God, I ran a 5K when I was six weeks pregnant and then I miscarried. I can never run a 5K again because mm-hmm. that caused my miscarriage. Right. And I don't right. want to ruin running for them. Right. Because that's a lot, a lot of women, that's how we think. Yeah. So I think that um, if she hasn't been evaluated yet, she definitely deserves an evaluation to help understand why the miscarriages are happening and to be monitored in early pregnancy so that she has an idea if this is going to be a successful pregnancy or not. And there's a lot we can tell from ultrasound by doing that. And then I think it's okay for her to continue running unless her running was super extreme. Like again, a marathon every month mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. a five minute mile pace. Well, it pleases me greatly to hear how much things have changed even at your practice because definitely um, my, my mm-hmm. twins are now um, 12. And so, you know, 13 years ago, almost actually to this month when I was going through treatments and, you know, after the yeah. transfer of the two embryos, you know, had to do the, the bed rest for two days and then, you know, was mm-hmm. told that I couldn't exercise until... Um, until I got the, you know, test done. And I just thought, yeah, that's not going to work out, folks. So, you know, I I stopped, you know, I stopped running and I I was actually visiting my parents. And I remember very specifically, I was swimming and doing the elliptical. And, you know, we know that outcome. I had, I had twins. So, but, but, but I just knew that, that there was no way I was going to be able to go without exercise during that time. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, Sarah, we still have the two-day of mm-hmm. bed rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I told my patients to find lots of Netflix series to watch. Oh, my God, But then yes. I talk about strategies mm-hmm. to exercise mm-hmm. that would without a lot of jostling of the abdomen. So mm-hmm. swimming, mm-hmm. Um, setting your treadmill on a really steep incline mm-hmm. so that you can get that workout without the pounding of jogging. Mm-hmm. Um, spin class without the jump. Mm-hmm. And I think because for me personally, it's really important to be able to do those things in my pregnancies. Mm-hmm. I feel like I can relate to my patients who strive to achieve the same things, but I want to do it in a way that's safe for them and never have them think like, oh, I ran and that's why my embryo did an implant and that's why my IVF cycle did. Right. I have to say, I'm looking at these comments on Facebook and a woman named uh, Ginny said, no question, but comment running through fertility treatment is probably the only reason I stayed somewhat sane. Um, and I have to oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, another question comes from um, one of the coaches in our Train Like a Mother Club, um, Coach MK. Okay. And um, sh- this is an intriguing one. She says um, uh, she wants to know how long the drugs from IVF stay in a woman's body because she said for most of her clients, especially the ones whose IVF attempts were not successful, they forget how much their body has been through um, and that the thought it was you know, and maybe the body thought it was pregnant and expected to go right back to training as if nothing had happened. So, um, you know, what's the rule of thumb about how long before the body is back to pre-treatment hormone levels? Okay, that's a great question. Um, I'm going to answer it in a couple of parts. 
Mm-hmm. In the IVF cycle where you're taking injectable medications to grow your eggs, mm-hmm. so those medicines are FSH and LH, and then we do the surgery to take the eggs out, and then a woman either gets, if we're doing a transfer right away, gets pregnant or doesn't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. If in that scenario she didn't get, we put the embers back in and she didn't get pregnant, mm-hmm. she'll get a period, and at which point the hormones technically should be out of her body, but mm-hmm. her ovaries are still bigger than normal, mm-hmm. and the subsequent cycle might be thrown off by the hormones re-regulating. Mm-hmm. Even though technically the medicine is out of her system, it's going to take her body a whole other month to get back on track. Mm-hmm. Additionally, leading up to the IVF cycle, we advise patients to not exercise as intensely because we don't want their ovaries to torch or twist on themselves. Yep. So just because her pregnancy test is negative doesn't mean that her physical um, being is the same as where she was two months before she started treatment. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to be kind to yourself and to your body and give yourself at least another month mm-hmm. as things get back on track. You can't just jump right in your five-minute miles or your 10-minute miles, wherever you were beforehand. Mm -hmm. For cycles with frozen embryo transfers where we use injectable estrogen and injectable progesterone, Mm -hmm. and then we do the embryo transfer, and then we check the pregnancy test, and if the pregnancy test is negative, those injectable injectable medications, because they're oil-based, can stay in your system for another month or two, Mm -hmm. making your subsequent periods um, at different durations, and that you can also still feel different. Mm -hmm. And again, because we... Um, as much as I try and be open-minded about it, still impose some limitations on my patients. Mm-hmm. The moment they get a negative test, they're not back where they were before they even started trying their treatment. Their body has slowed down, so now they need time to ramp it back up. So I think it's really important to be kind to yourself psychologically because you just went through this loss, and then be kind to your body because you're not in the same place you were. So jumping right, right back in super intensely, especially if you're doing that to help grieve the loss or get mm-hmm. over the loss, mm-hmm. may not. you might be disappointed in your performance. Mm-hmm. So give yourself about an extra month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important because, I mean, it is, I, I mean, I'm a pretty stoic person and a, an optimist, but, I mean, it was just such a roller coaster of emotions, the infertility mm-hmm. and dealing. You know, I just remember, like, I'd be totally fine, and the next minute just sitting in our window seat just crying my eyes out. And, um, yeah. you know, just, uh, and, and now I cry my eyes out because my twins are such pain in the butts. But, you know, hey, that's a whole nother problem. <laughs> <laughs> we had a very good weekend. I did not. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. I, we had a very good weekend. I cannot complain. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. And I think, I mean, I think that's another thing that just, I think people need to remember that, that um, situations like this are often, they, they feel so all-consuming and then it all just mm-hmm. seems, you know, to me that like even thinking back on those days seems like another lifetime ago. And that, but when you're in it, yeah. you feel like I am always going to want another child. I'm always going to be, you know, I'll never have a baby or we'll never have another baby or whatever it is. And that, that eventually time passes and the situation resolves itself one way or another. And that, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, but yeah, you're, it's very true. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, are, is there anything that um, that you would want? Is there anything we haven't touched on that you'd want to tell runners if they're thinking about, yeah, if they're dealing with all this? Do you feel like we haven't touched on something? Um, I think the most important thing for runners to remember is if you're trying to get pregnant and it's not happening, don't be afraid to seek help. I promise you, most physicians are not going to tell you to give up running. If they do, come see me instead. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> <laughs> little plug there no most of my colleagues won't tell you that but it's important don't discount it and don't think it's the running right away there's many reasons you might be struggling to get pregnant might be your partner's sperm issue or Mm -hmm. lack of sperm or something else so don't discount your running it's important for your health 
um, if you're running extreme amounts, then maybe start to take into consideration. But most importantly, don't be afraid to seek help. The biggest challenge I see when patients come in is they feel like they came in too late mm-hmm. by the time they see me, and then they're deathly afraid that I'm going to tell them, sorry, you can't have a baby. Mm-hmm. And those never, rarely, rarely, rarely will we say something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. I also think that when a family's involved, you know, so like maybe your mother-in-law is leaning on you to have a kid or, you know, it, you know, you're your oldest kid is wanting a sibling or something like that. I think, mm-hmm. I think it, then it's so easy to be like, well, you know, if you just stopped running, you could probably get pregnant, you know? And mm-hmm. that, um, yeah. I don't, I don't think moms need any more wannabe moms need any more guilt in their lives. So no, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely agree. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Betsy, for talking with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I uh, greatly appreciate it. Good, good. All right. And, and I, you know, go see a doctor about your leakage issues and, you know, I'll, I'll see you at a race yeah. here in Portland sometime <laughs> soon. <laughs> I will. I will. You sound like my husband. One of these days, right? In all of our spare time. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> all righty. Take care. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Bye. Bye. Oh, so Amanda, so you, ha- you had your two kids the got got pregnant the old-fashioned way did you yes but i was one of those people that in between the two of them i had three miscarriages so um and i can remember you know one doctor you know suggesting that i dial back on running and many people asking me that too you know and it's not like i i've never been someone who runs you know 60 70 miles a week or anything Mm -hmm. like that or has been too thin or like Mm -hmm. so you know like it kind of bothered me when people mm-hmm. would, would butt in and say that kind of stuff to me. And, um, you know, like she said, I mean, I, w- I went through all the testing and, um, you know, 75% of people, you're not going to find an answer for why this is going on. Right. Um, and I just eventually, you know, got, got lucky. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, we were one of these couples, the story is told over and over again, right. Where we decided we were going to go forward with adoption actually. And then wow. I ran a half marathon felt kind of off and said, you know, if I didn't know better, I think I was pregnant. And, you know, there, lo and behold, there I was pregnant. And that wow. was, and that was like eight weeks at that point, which was beyond where all my miscarriages had happened. So, yeah. Oh, wow. I got, I got chills listening to that story. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I think it's a very common story, actually. I think, and, and you know, that whole stress thing, I think probably plays a role in there. Who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. But doesn't that all seem like so long ago? You know, like, oh my gosh, yes. And it, it like exactly I was so relating to what you were saying that when you're in it, it's just larger than life and it oh, seems like mm-hmm. you know, and then it, you know, you move on and there's so much else afterward, you know, but it is it's immense when you're in the moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just remember I definitely when I was, you know, having to get those daily shots in the butt, you know, I just was like, I will not uh, be defined yeah. by one, you know, painful but fleeting moment of my day. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, but I also remember though, you know, so our kids are, um, three, almost three and a half years apart. And I remember the time thinking like, we're the only people who have kids that aren't two years apart. And, yes, then, and, same. <laughs> and then you go and all your, you know, all your oldest kids, you know, the, your ki- older kids, classmates, they all have siblings that are three years younger than them. You know, they're all in the same class or four right, years or whatever right. it is. And it's yes. like, Oh, where were you when I was feeling like everybody right. was just <laughs> popping out the babies? It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I know yeah. you are going to hop, but then I am going to talk with Anissa. So, um, thanks. Right. Ama- thanks, Amanda. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. Alrighty. <laughs> bye. Bye. 
Alrighty, now I'd like to welcome on Anissa Brown, who is the mom of three kids. I guess that's, a, I should have said spoiler alert, um, because Anissa, you shared with me such a wonderful, wonderful story when I was there in Ogden. Um, and thank you for joining the show. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so uh, you said, told me such a wonderful story. And um, so tell us about your situation and then you know really dive into the it's called fertility 5k is that what it's called it's called footsteps for fertility that's what it is yeah. and yeah so yeah go for it tell your story okay well um it kind of began my husband and i met in 2006 and um we shortly thereafter uh you know got off birth control and we thought we'd start our family together and after several years, we realized that it wasn't working on its own, so we saw a fertility specialist and found out that we have severe infertility, both myself and him. Mm. So in 2013, I, after feeling really discouraged with my body and feeling like I had no control over my body, I thought I would accomplish the one thing that I never could by controlling um, the ability to run and just being able to, if I can't produce a baby on my own, just or accomplishing something that I've always you know struggled with in, in my youth and in my even in my adulthood which is running and especially endurance running so my best friend and I who's always been a great support for me and in my struggles um, started joining numerous 5ks and as we were training for a half marathon and you know 10ks 5ks relays and as we were doing one one of them just ended up being kind of a group run that we were doing we were having breakfast and she said I did some research as we were researching new 5Ks and found one that focuses on fertility and it's a nonprofit organization that all funds go towards the advancement as well as um, insurance support and improvement upon insurance support for fertility. Mm -hmm. And so we did some research and she joined and created a team that every member that joined under her name or my name, um, which we actually created a group name under my previous mother's uh, name we named it uh, Linda, Linda's continuing Linda's legacy, mm-hmm. and for every person that joined our 5K under our group, their name was uh, provided into a group drawing, um, a raffle that was mm-hmm. drawn for uh, free IVF. Oh. So, which is yeah. huge. Which is hu- for people who don't know. I mean, that's literally winning the lottery. I mean, it, bigger than that for us, absolutely. I mean, it was a miracle, especially with the advanced treatments that we would need in addition to IVF. We needed additional treatment upon that. Mm-hmm. So it would have been $50,000 for us, and it was just something that was just, you know, unobtainable for us. And so right. for and us the, to find a 5K that supported it was huge. Right, because, I mean, because very few states, I think Massachusetts might be the only state that covers fully fertility treatments, so that it would have been out of, out of your pocket, $50,000. Correct. And at the time, the actual organization was founded also to um, move Utah to be more supportive of infertility. Mm. So they, there was no support as far as insurance for in, any infertility. Even for us to see a male doctor, we had to see a urologist because if there was anything in the word fertility under my husband or myself, they wouldn't cover that, even oh. the doctor's visit. And even in a state that, that places such a high premium on fa- family. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so we were just devastated. And especially myself coming from the youngest of seven children, I always wanted a big family myself. And then with the passing of my mother, I just really wanted to ha- continue her legacy by having a baby again. And, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so it was heartbreaking for us. And so to hear of this organization that was founded just to support fertility and the women that um, struggle with it, mm-hmm. just even have that organization of support, one another mm-hmm. to talk and, mm-hmm. and struggle together and to, you know, really be a, a unified voice with our legislators on how important this is to us and to move health insurance to be more supportive. But to find an organization that actually had a 5K that all, that could actually, you could win an in vitro treatment. I mean, it just seemed, surreal to me. I, oh, I, no. I can't even put into words. I know. It seems, I it really seems, when, <laughs> when you told me about it, I'm like, oh, this must be like, you know, a woman struggling to conceive's like dream, like literal dream, you know, like, oh, I, I dreamt last night, honey, that there was a race that we could win IVF through, you know? Exactly. And especially when I found it and because I was actually struggling with my body and feeling like I was a woman that was not couldn't do what I was born here to do, which is mm-hmm. reproduce. And, and I was, I felt like as a woman, I was a failure. Mm-hmm. So to be a runner and to accomplish my first half marathon was already a success. But then mm-hmm. to find out that something that like running actually helped by me can taking control of my life and by pursuing something like running, actually I also pursued my dream of, of having a baby of our own and mm-hmm. my husband having a baby of his own. It was just mm-hmm. amazing. It was just a dream come true. So we found out about the organization several months before the event. So we created a group. Um, we pushed out marketing through our friends and family to support our cause. And even if they're $30 in registration and they come and support and enjoy the 5K and enjoy the race with us, that $30 also goes towards the foundation as a whole. So mm-hmm. either way, they were supporting grants and um, fertility advancement for any mm-hmm. woman, not just myself if I shouldn't, if mm-hmm. I chance not one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then fast forward, so you got, so, and I love you saying marketing to your friends and family, spoken like a tr- true person in the, you know, in the business yeah. that you're in. I love that. So, so, um, uh, so, okay, so take us to race day then. The, how many, how so many friends and family day. do you have there and what's it like? Well, we, so we were monitoring that because they could, you could see how many people were in each team. And so we are mm-hmm. monitoring it daily on how many people were registered under each team just to understand our odds. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have great odds. I had 84 wonderful friends and family that registered support, to support me. Um, and then of 1,140 that were registered total for the entire 5K. Mm-hmm. So our odds weren't great, but um, we weren't the, great, the largest team by any means. Real? Are, you kid- are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh, there were teams that were larger, but I have such a wonderful family that have been, that were part of my fertility problems for so many years and supported me that they felt so helpless in the years past that this was their one way that they really were excited to join me. So that morning I was anxiously watching the sunrise over the mountains and um, up walks over 20 people, my brothers and sisters, their spouses and um, their kids in adult diapers and bibs that said Linda's Legacy and Brown Baby. And it was just, the sight brought me to tears that not only would they come and support me at a 5K, but they would show up in adult diapers. Right, right. And, and, and we'll remind we'll remind people your last name's Brown. So um, Brown Baby was um, what you were hoping to conceive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, so. yes. <laughs> oh, so my it goodness. was so, so exciting. So, and wait, so they were, they were wearing like t-shirts and, and adult diapers and uh and then bibs yes and bibs. Uh, yep. oh my gosh oh my gosh it was amazing just their support and there's just the tears in their eyes they just did the 5k with me and it was the longest 5k of my life of course because I knew at the end was the drawing mm-hmm. and then we gathered together and they did just talked about fertility and the advancement of the foundation and how it was founded and um, it was founded by sisters that wanted to support another sister that couldn't have a baby, Aww. and so they created a 5K in support of her. And since then, other doctors and fertility um, organizations joined in their efforts. And so, 
And the first name that was drawn was not my team. So we, you know, there are two that were given away. So the first one that was drawn was not my was not us so we were a little discouraged but we were happy for them regardless Mm -hmm. and then we have it on video that the second name that she walked up she was from um, the Utah Center for Reproductive Medicine so Mm -hmm. here at the University of Utah Mm -hmm. and she drew and started to say Jason which is my husband's name and I the entire team of us just ruptured into screams Mm -hmm. and hysteria as I fell to the ground bawling because I just was given this miracle that we wouldn't have been able to accomplish otherwise. Oh my God! So wait, so they chose your husband out of the eighty-four names. They chose your husband's name. They chose the group's name, so Jason and Anissa Brown. Oh, okay, all right, okay, all right, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and then they gave us the registered number of the person that yeah. whose name was drawn of our team, mm-hmm. and it was a sister of a girl that I went to junior high with oh. that would, had registered for the five k that lived out of Washington State that wasn't even in our state. Oh my And goodness. so just that kind of support um, throughout the reach of our friends and family just meant the world to us that it was somebody oh. that was even a friend of mine from junior high right right oh chills i have chills just thinking about it i mean it was truly indescribable i mean i couldn't the, the rainbow came out and the sun came out and it was uh-huh. tears i was granted this opportunity that i thought was just absolutely unobtainable it was just a dream come true oh my goodness oh my goodness i just love that so so and remind me how old your twins are now so they are three years old now. Uh-huh. Um, we Sadly, we, we got pregnant and lost the first round. So then the second round, they, they were able to um, put in three eggs and mm-hmm. two of them fertilized. And so we have our these beautiful three-year-old twins now that are our miracle babies that mm-hmm. we would not have had if it weren't for the foundation and for the love of running. And since then, they've granted 122 grants. 46 babies have been born because oh. of this foundation. 14 babies are currently on the way, so women that are currently pregnant. Wow. And there's 36 couples that are currently cycling. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. What great work they're doing. That's yes, fantastic. and all because of the love of running and the love of support of women to women mm-hmm. and our bodies and their ability to, to not only run and support each other in that desire, but also to continue um, with our legacy and to have women and daughters of our own. Right, right. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, um, I, I, I'll tell you that I had always wanted to do a, um, a podcast about running and fertility. And then when I heard your story, I'm like, that's it. We're definitely doing it. Like, <laughs> we got to share that story. So, so It is. It's one of those things when they tell you what's something unique about yourself. I tell them that I won my children in a drawing at a 5K. It's, it's an interesting story. <laughs> it sure is. It sure <laughs> Who else can say that they won their children <laughs> right. in a raffle? They're like frozen turkeys that you get at a turkey trot. <laughs> I, I do. I call them my little freezer babies. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, um, thank you. And, and if people want to meet you and, and, you know, hear all about more about this, they can join our retreat in Ogden next May 17th through 20th, because you'll, you'll be there for part of it. So <laughs> I'm, yes, I'm eager and excited to welcome each person to, uh, to your event and to share my story as well as share other stories on how running and truly, truly changes and grows and improves your life quality. Mm-hmm. It is true. It is true. Well, you are a lovely person, Anissa, and uh, thank you thank for sharing you. your story. Alrighty, take care, and I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. Bye bye. Ah, oh, gotta love a good happy ending. Um, 
So, alrighty. So, uh, let's move on to the Train Like a Mother Club. There's still time to sign up for the Stride into the Holidays Challenge, which is a five-week program that keeps you moving through this hectic time of year, this dark time of year that Amanda and I talked about, um, with easy runs and strength workouts. The program kicks off on Monday, November 13th. That's soon, people. That's a week from today as I record this. And the Stride into the Holidays only costs $25. And all profits benefit charity. You choose whether your registration fee goes to Heart Strides or 261 Fearless. For details and to sign up, go to trainlikeamother.club. Again, it's the Stride into the Holidays Challenge, and you can find it at trainlikeamother.club. All right, and if you don't already, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram. On both, we are at the Mother Runner. And hey, while you're on Twitter, please follow me at SBS on the Run. Our podcast is a member of the ACAST Network, and our show today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Music.